0: And as we've done um, most weeks, I'm going to read the introduction, so verses 1 and 2, and then all together, just so we get it in our heads, we'll read um, verses 3 through to 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbour's. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd write these laws on our hearts and please help us to understand why they are so good and then move us to want to keep them for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, um, when I was um, about uh, seven or eight years old, I went along to church for the first time, to Sunday school. My parents weren't Christians, and the reason I went along to the local Baptist church was because uh, my neighbours were Christians, and of course, I now realize they're probably praying for us as kids, but they just asked my mum and dad, uh, would you like us to take Andrew along to Sunday school? And my parents said, yeah, why not? Now, I haven't asked my mum and dad why it was that they said that, but I I can guess. I mean, partly it's free childcare. You know, Andrew's quite a handful um, of a morning, so they get a morning to themselves. Um, But also, maybe he'll learn some good Christian morals there. Um, Even though my parents weren't into Jesus particularly, uh, they weren't explicitly um, into Christian things, they were kind of into Christian morals. And they thought it, it would do our children quite a lot of good to learn about the Bible and about how you should live, how you should be a good boy. And particularly, I think they would have been delighted if we were doing a series on the Ten Commandments and we came across this one, honour your father and your mother. So everyone likes, well not everyone, but many people like the idea of, of children learning from the Bible morals of how you should live. And they're probably not so keen on the first, the first four of the Ten Commandments, which are all about God and how to love and honour God, because that's not such a priority. But most people are pretty keen on commandments 5 to 10, which is how to treat other people well. That's the kind of thing that people want their children to learn how to be a good person, how to treat other people well in society. And that is true. It is good to know that. It is good to learn to love your neighbour as yourself. And to learn it in these particular ways. But there's a shock actually for people who think these are just good morals. And the first shock we've seen a few times already in this series is the introduction. Where God says this isn't about being a good person to earn your way into heaven. Uh, This is about being rescued, forgiven people. Who are um, in a relationship with their heavenly father. So the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, what I call the zeroth commandment, because it comes even before um, number one. You know how, I think it's Houston Station has a platform zero, because um, they, they, you know, they numbered them all, then they built another one to the left of it, and they thought they could do all the renumbering, or you could just start the numbering at zero. Well, and we got the Ten Commandments, already got pretty fixed numbers. So remember commandment number zero, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I'm your God, I've already rescued you, I've already saved you, you're already mine, we're already in a relationship. This is how to live to express that relationship. So it's not about good morals to get me into heaven. This is about good morals because I'm on my way to heaven, because i got a God who rescued me. That's the first thing. But the second thing is that it it turns out that all the commandments about how we treat other people, how we treat our parents, how we treat other people's stuff, not stealing Um, how we treat other people's wives or husbands, uh, avoiding adultery. Actually, all of those are about loving God as well. And it's actually not possible to understand this commandment to honour your father and your mother, apart from a deep understanding of what it means to know God and the importance of knowing God. And we're going to see that as we go on. As we've done for all the commandments, we're going to try and get into the Bible's thinking about it and understand why the stakes are so high. And when it comes to the fifth commandment... Actually, the stakes are very high. Just look again at the words of the commandment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So firstly, together with the promise is a a promise of prosperity and long life. Things will be successful if you live this way. It really is the best way to live. But actually, it turns out that one of the reasons that this will make your days long is that if you break the command, your days are going to be short because the penalty for breaking this commandment is the death penalty. And this is all over the Old Testament. So, for example, in Exodus chapter 21, so just over the page, verse 15, whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. If you punch your mum... It's the death penalty. Or verse 17, whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. Leviticus chapter 20, I'll just read you, it's the same idea. Anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or mother, his blood is upon him. And then there is a, a passage in the um, Old Testament in Deuteronomy um, in which and um, we get the specific instructions for what to do. And it is it, going to shock you, I think, But I want you to hear it from me before you hear it from an angry atheist online. So this is one of the verses that in the um, sort of blog forums where people are being angry about uh, Christianity in the name of atheism, they'll say, can you believe it? The Bible says this. And it does say this, and it's as well that you hear it in church before you hear it there. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father... Or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, he will not listen to them. Then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate, the place where he lives. They shall say to the elders of the city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now, um, as I read that, I imagine you're quite shocked. It is very extreme. Honour your father and mother is the way to long life, but cursing your father and mother, dishonouring, rebelling against your father and mother, is a way to a short life because it carried the death penalty. Now, I don't know how you react to finding something like that in the Bible. Maybe uh, you're horrified or shocked and Maybe you're confused. Maybe you think, well, maybe that's just an Old Testament thing. You know, in the Old Testament, God was very angry and strict. And in the New Testament, God is much more loving and kind, and we have the Lord Jesus himself. But it turns out in a debate with the Pharisees, the religious teachers of his day, Jesus reaffirmed this commandment and this sanction. He's arguing with the Pharisees. They've got a pretty lax view, actually, even though they claim to be very strict about the law they got a quite lax view about what the law actually says. Um, And he says, Moses wrote, honour your father and mother and everyone who dishonours his father or mother shall be put to death. But you say, and then he talks about their sort of watered down version. And he says that they set aside the word of God for the sake of their tradition. So Jesus upholds this command and this sanction. And at the very least, we ought to be thinking, gosh, this is much more serious than I thought. Uh, What is it about dishonouring parents that is so bad that somebody should die? Now, I want to explore this more as we go on. But just in case you're sort of so horrified that you can't really hear the rest of the sermon, um, I want to tell you now that the Christian message is one of being saved from death. And in our sin and our guilt, there's, all of us have done many things that deserve death, and yet the Lord Jesus has come to rescue us. And it is quite a wonderful thing, actually, to consider the parable of the prodigal son alongside the law about a rebellious son. Now, the law says if someone turns his back on his father and mother and lives as a stubborn and rebellious glutton and drunkard, he shall be stoned. And yet Jesus tells a story about somebody who's done exactly this, He's left his father and mother, wandered off, lived as a glutton and a drunk. It's almost precisely the same issue. And yet in Jesus' story, in Jesus' parable, the father welcomes his son back, throws his arms around him, holds a huge party for him. This son of mine was lost and is found. I just say that now so that we can um, sort of hear the rest of the talk. It's very serious, says the Bible, to dishonor our parents. And yet God is in the business of saving us, rescuing us, forgiving us from very serious things. However, it is serious. And and you might be thinking, why is it so serious? I remember before I was a Christian, speaking personally, I had a bad conscience about the way I treated my mum. I've I've mentioned this before. My mum was probably the closest person to me. And um, she'd been a wonderful mother and a very sacrificial and loving mother, even though uh, most of my... um, Uh, Charlotte. until that time. She she hadn't been a Christian, but um, very loving, uh, caring, sacrificial, and yet I'd been to her quite rude. Um, I snapped at her often. I lashed out at her, and I felt ashamed about it. Um, She was kind. I was unkind. I think partly it was because it was a relationship I knew was sort of ultra safe, and so I abused it because I could. I knew she would take it. And even as I was looking into Christianity, I, I felt bad about that, and I wanted to know, is there forgiveness for the way I've treated my mum? Because I'm not doing it right. So it, there is a kind of general rightness about treating well the people who've given you everything in the world. It's just obvious. Even, even to me as a non-Christian, it was obvious. But in the Bible, I want to suggest there's a more profound reason than that. Well, actually, two more profound reasons, but I think the second one is the more important the, the first reason is, and um, Kevin DeYoung, if you get the little book, that is the book of the term, some of you will read this later, um, and others have suggested that actually honoring your father and mother in the Old Testament law, it stands for our respect for authority in general. It's quite a big thing in the Bible that, that we should submit to authorities. We should be prepared to um, keep the laws of the land. Uh, we should be prepared to um, obey our boss at work. Uh, Within the family, there's a right ordering where it's a godly thing for a wife to submit to the leadership of her husband and for children to submit to the leadership of their parents. And submission is a dirty word in our culture, and it's a beautiful word in the Bible. And we can't get our heads on that because we think um, it's all about status, and if you submit, you're giving up your status, and that's the worst thing you could possibly do. And the Bible thinks it's a beautiful thing, and, and it shows us the Lord Jesus, who is, has the highest status of anybody um, in the history of the, the universe. And yet Jesus, with the highest status, submits and shows us the beauty of submission. So um, the Bible says submission is important, and this is the first place that we kind of get that underlined. Uh, the primary relationship in the Bible is the family but that is the basis for all other relationships. So um, the family, but then you have the nation, is made up in Israel of families, different tribes and clans. In the New Testament, the church is a family. Uh, in fact, sometimes um, the Apostle Paul is calls himself a, a father to the church, and, uh, and Timothy is his true son. And so what is true in the family is true of relationships in general, namely, submission is good. Uh, recognizing hierarchies that God has established is a beautiful thing. That, that's a real shock to our culture. We don't get that. Uh, we think submission would be demeaning, but Jesus disagrees. So maybe one of the reasons it's so important is because it's setting up in the Bible uh, the whole idea that God has given us for our good, hierarchies. And sometimes to recognize your place in the hierarchy um, can be very important. Now that's that's one reason, but I think there is a more profound reason, and it's the one I put down under number two. Honour your father and your mother. Your life depends on it. In a context where your father and your mother are the ones teaching you to obey the Lord. And I want to spend some time on this, but I think this has brought real clarity to me and have been a bit of a surprise to me. I thought it was just saying, it's really important to obey mum and dad, whoever you are. And you could apply it just as easily to uh, Muslim children or Hindu children or atheist children and Christian children. It would just go better if you obeyed your parents. And I, I think that is true at some level. But actually, the context is really key here. The context of the Ten Commandments is God addressing his rescued covenant people, and he says to them, it's really important that you obey your father and your mother. I want to put it in the context of some other things that he says that fathers and mother should do to their children, So, for example, um, as um, you may know that that God rescued his people out of Egypt, which he refers to in commandment number zero, God's salvation. He rescued them by sending a whole load of plagues. And the plague showed them that God was on their side and that God was powerful and that God could destroy their enemies and rescue them. And we're we're told in, in in Exodus chapter 10 that they're to teach these plagues and to tell their son and their grandson, what God has done. So how were you going to learn about the fact that God was a rescuing, saving God? Well, your mum and dad were going to tell you. And how did they know? Well, your granny and granddad were going to tell them. So within Israel, the, the job of teaching people about God as the rescuing God, it was given to parents to teach children to teach grandchildren. And I want to give you a whole load more verses just so you can see how big a theme this is in the Bible. So here's um, Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 10. Remember the day that you stood before the Lord at Horeb, Mount Sinai. So the moment they got the Ten Commandments. um, The Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words. These Ten Commandment words. So they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth. And that they may teach their children so. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children these commands, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by your way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19. You shall teach these commands to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, and when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Psalm 78 verse 5, God established a testimony in Jacob, he appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children and so on and so on and so on. In, in other words, there is a, a biblical basis for um, Sunday school, there's a biblical basis for Bible time, I know lots of you did with your children before bed, you have bath and then you have Bible, I've sometimes been around your houses and had the privilege of and being a guest reader for Bible time. Lots of you do that. That's good because um, there's a biblical foundation for that. You're supposed to teach these things to your children. There's a place for going on a family walk, and while you're on the family walk, to talk about the Lord Jesus and his rescue, you're supposed to do it when you walk. Uh, there's a place for um, opening the Bible at breakfast if you um, are in lesser rush than I am in the mornings, when you lie down and when you rise. Um, In the Bible, God has given a very great responsibility to parents to teach their children about the Lord, about his rescue and about the way that we're to live as his rescued people. Um, In fact, that is the real hope for the next generation staying Christian. And it's a huge theme in the Bible. It's there in the law. It's also there in the Old Testament history. And some of you know that I'm spending a lot of my time at the moment working on one and two kings um, at the Cornhill course where I teach. And just generally, that's my study for the last couple of years. And King David was a great, great, great king. But then he messed up in a big way, and there's a big moral compromise in his life. And one of the, the less obvious consequences of his moral failure was that he sort of lost the grip on disciplining and teaching his children. Uh, Maybe because he was conscious of failing himself, he didn't want to hold them to account for stepping out of line. But as a consequence, Absalom went totally off the rails. Um, Solomon um, ended up off the rails. Um, And the Bible sort of comments on this, sadly, speaks about some of the later generations. and, And no one ever taught them or disciplined them. Uh, then we discover this little uh, motif in, in the books of Kings where we're told that so and so, such and such a king, his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as David his father's had been. And you're supposed to feel the tragedy, not just of someone going off the rails, but someone who had been in a godly line. His dad or granddad or great granddad was a, was a great godly guy who loved Jesus, who loved the Lord. And yet. Down the line, they'd wandered away. That, that's a tragedy in, in the Bible. A family that doesn't, through the generations, hold on. Now, you put all that, all that in context. I think this commandment makes a lot more sense. Why is it so important that you honour your parents to the extent that if you don't, you'll face death? Well, because all of us face death if we're cut off from God and his promises and his salvation and his ways and the way in which in Israel they were going to hear about God and his salvation and his ways was from their parents but but another way I could say um, children of Christian families do not depart from the faith in which you were raised it's a precious thing to have been taught the Bible um, at your mother's knee um, or by your daddy at breakfast time Uh, with the help of Sunday school from a a church. And so don't turn your back on that. That's why it's a life and death matter, I think. And it's why it's a life and death matter, even in the New Testament. We had as our um, first reading Ephesians chapter 6. And it might seem a bit strange to you because he's quoting from the Old Testament. He says, children obey your parents because this is the, the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And you think, hang on a minute, that, that kind of makes sense to me in Bible history that God said that through Moses at Mount Sinai because they were about to go into the promised land, the land of Canaan. So I, I get it that if we honour our father and mother, it's going to go better in Canaan. But then the New Testament says that even applies to us. Honour your parents so that it might go well to you in the land you're going to. What do you mean, so it will go better for me in the new creation that way, so that heaven will be better that way. Is that what you're saying? I think Jesus is saying that, but what he really means is that so you get to the new creation. So you get safely to heaven. How is a, a, a Christian youngster going to make it safely through this troubled world, this secular, God-hating world, and hold on to the promises of a God who is a saviour? Well, they're going to get there because of what their parents taught them. And you've got to obey it and hold to it and hold on to it. You see, it's not just a general, don't eat ice cream when your parents told you you've had enough. I'm sure it includes that. And it's not just, you must go to bed when your parents say, and all these sort of morals that we want it to say. It's much more centrally about, listen to your parents when they taught you the ways of God and obey them. Because that really is a life and death matter. That was a that was a new thought to me, I think, just these last few weeks as I've been thinking about this commandment. Makes sense, of course, doesn't it, of commandment number two, do you remember? Um, the commandment about not making idols. That it turned out that the consequences of it could be more than just one generation. It's the same idea. So verse five don't bear down to idols or serve idols, for I am the Lord your God and I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me. And keep my commandments. In other words, this is going to have consequences potentially for grandchildren, even great-great-grandchildren. But loving the Lord has consequences for great-great-great-great-great-great-great-a thousand children. Well, here's some implications then. Implications for parents. um, Implications for, I suppose, all parents. How you live and what you teach will have a huge effect on your children spiritually. I guess that's true for you if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. Um, if you live as an atheist, um, as though there is no God, um, as though we're just a bag of chemicals, that will affect your children profoundly. Your chosen belief system will impinge on your children's belief system. But if you're here as a Christian, um, be encouraged. Your faith will uh, impinge on your children's faith. will have a profound effect on the next generation and so we, we rejoice in that I think there's a great privilege to be born into a Christian family if you're a believer and you have children they're in a great privileged position as a member of God's people um, but also there's a great responsibility on Christian family um, Sunday school at church we, we take quite seriously as you know and lots of resources go into it lots of you teach on it um, obviously not this week because others are downstairs but um, it's a great thing we can do as a church but it's only a supportive ministry of the work given to parents in the church so Sunday school is the thing that we do as Grace Church Greenwich to to try and help those of you who are parents but the job of teaching Sunday school and Monday school and Tuesday school and Wednesday school is your job um, Bible time um, opening the Bible at breakfast perhaps talking about the Lord Jesus when you're on a family walk, perhaps when you get up, when you rise, when you go for a walk, uh, you shall tell them about his rescue and his ways. And we want to help you as much as we can um, as, at Grace Church Greenwich for parents. And for non-parents, I, I'm not a parent, I am a godfather, which is, sounds like some sort of Italian mafia position, doesn't it, to most people. I am the godfather. But to be a godfather in the Church of England um, practice is to be somebody who can help parents. That's the job, I'm supposed to help the parents of my godchildren to teach their children the ways of the Lord, and all of us actually can do that, whether you're formally a godparent or not. the The next generation who are currently downstairs are our responsibility. Um, let's teach them. Um, for children of Christian parents, honour your father and your mother. I think that is. We are the people to whom this commandment is actually intended. Honour your father and your mother. Don't depart from the faith that your, children, that your parents raised you in. Um, I'm really chuffed that we've got students here and you've just come back from the weekend away and had a good time. Um, last year, we had quite a, some of you know, we had quite a disappointment with um, students in Freshers' Week. We had about nine or ten probably came along um, for the first two or three weeks of term. And then as the year went on, we had seven and six and three and two and one. And not many people made it through the year. Now, of course, some people could have gone to other churches, which is great. My impression is some people gave up on the Lord Jesus, or at least for the time being at university, have taken a step back with the Lord Jesus. And this commandment says to you, don't do that. If your parents raised you at Sunday school and taught you the truth, stick with it. Honour them. Um, Obey the things that they told you to obey. Um, It's a great privilege you've had, and don't turn from it. Maybe you know others, maybe other people in your course, and other people who maybe made a start in the CU in Freshers' Week, and now they're nowhere to be seen. Of course, I think it applies particularly, doesn't it, at that time when we leave home, maybe. Make our own decisions. If I was downstairs talking to the children, I'd say it to them as you enter into teenage years. Um, uh, don't turn away from the faith of mummy and daddy, but stick with it. And then for children of non-Christian parents, which is me. I mean, my mum actually has become a Christian since I grew up, but that was me um, and maybe some of you. Um, I don't think this commandment is as much to us as I thought it was. I think it has a very specific sense for the children of Christian families. But the Bible elsewhere does tell me and does tell you to treat your parents well. So even if this particular thing is quite specific, um, there are other places in the Bible. For example, um, Jesus has a real go at the Pharisees for getting out of looking after their parents. In Mark chapter 7, and he quotes this commandment and says, how come Moses says this, honour your father and mother, but you say... And the particularly horrible thing about the Pharisees of Jesus' day is that they've actually found a way of using religion to love their parents less. That's the really chilling thing. So the way it, what they say is, I'm sorry, Mom and Dad. I mean, obviously, we, you could probably do with some financial help in your, uh, in your old age, particularly in days without a welfare state. But sorry, unfortunately, all the funds I would have given to help you are ring-fenced for special religious use because we're Pharisees, you know, and we've got it in the special Pharisee account. So I hope you understand that because we're so, so devoted to God, we can't help you, mum and dad. And Jesus, that is disgusting. (laughs) To actually actually twist um, our relationship to God to dodge our relationship with our family is a horrid thing to do. Paul says, similarly to, to Timothy, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So even though I think this command has a particular keep going in the Christian direction your parents taught you application, um, I think it ha- there's a general teaching in the Bible that we ought to care for and provide for those who provided for us. So I hope you can see that there's quite a lot more going on in this commandment. And the stakes are quite a lot higher than we thought. And I wanted to put the application in the middle of the sermon. Normally, implications would come at the end, because I thought we might be feeling a bit discouraged or crushed um, or uh, conscious of our failure. And it would be rather encouraging if we were to end with point three. Look to the perfect example. If you're a parent, um, you've got a great example of a parent in the Bible. That is our Heavenly Father. And some of us have studied the Sermon on the Mount recently, where Jesus actually draws an analogy between human parents and and a Heavenly Father parent. He says, God's better at it, but even humans get the right idea. They get the gist. So if if your children ask you, um, please can I have a, a fish? In other words... That's first century for, I'm hungry. I know most of your children don't ask for fish. They normally ask for an ice cream. Same sort of idea. Can I have a fish? Can I have an ice cream? Yeah, you probably don't give them a snake. right? You don't give them something really dangerous. Um, I, I mean, you, Jesus says, you're not that good at being parents, but you get this. right? You get that you're supposed to be kind. Uh, well, your Heavenly Father is more kind. How much more would the, Holy, Holy, would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Um, we have a heavenly father who is very generous, who knows what we need before we ask him. In fact, he's the father who invented being a father. We talked a bit about this at Bite Size Theology on Wednesday. And a little plug for that. Do come along if you're free at quarter by seven. Uh, we, we looked at the verse in Ephesians chapter three, where Paul is praying. And he says, I pray before the father. And that's what we do as well, right? We, we start our prayers, Our Father, or well, Paul does that as well. But he says, I'm praying before the Father from which all other fathers get their name. So the reason that human beings knew to have the concept of a Father was because that God was already a, a Father. And He is a good one, and a generous, and kind one. So make God your model if you're a parent. And make Jesus your model if you are somebody's child. Because just as God, our Heavenly Father, was good at being a father, so the Lord Jesus is remarkable at being a son. And I just want to pick out a couple of quite beautiful things in his life that show this. The first is the passage um, that comes just after Christmas in Luke's Gospel, where we meet Jesus aged 12. So if you're um, 12 years old, then you can learn from what Jesus was like when he was 12 years old. He was a little bit unlike um, us in that he was God, and he knew that he was. That, that's different, isn't it? So he went to the temple and he said, oh, yes, I was going to my father's house. And Mary and Jason are a bit confused at this point because they're like, no, no, that isn't our house, Jesus. No, no, my father's house. So age 12, Jesus is very conscious of um, being a member of the Trinity. That's a bit unusual. But then, off, this is the amazing thing, after speak about himself as a member of the Trinity, the last little verse of this passage is, and so he went back home with his mum and dad and submitted to them. And I find that quite extraordinary. If we find it hard to, um, honour our parents, because we think they're um, they're wrong and they're silly or whatever, imagine Jesus knowing he was God, um, age 12, deciding to go and obey his mum and dad. He was just finite and human. But he does that because he is the perfect human being, showing us the perfect way to be a son. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus a 12-year-old. The other um, image is Jesus as a, I guess, 33-year-old or thereabouts, um, as he's going to die on a cross. And he hasn't got that many words left, um, because the suffering is extreme and it's, And how does he use his last words? Well, he gives us a few wonderful bits of Christian theology um, from the cross, but he also says to his disciple John, um, John, will you look after my mum, please? He says, John, behold your mother, woman, behold your son. Because I'm dying now and I'm not going to be around to look, look after her. Could you look after her as if she was your own mum, please? Isn't that a beautiful thing, isn't it, to even at the end of your life, in agony, dying for the sins of the world, to think, but I haven't forgotten my responsibility to mum. So Jesus shows us how to be the perfect son. Submission is a beautiful thing. Um, Caring for your parents as they get older and are more infirm is a beautiful thing. Jesus does both. And so, um, what does it mean for us? I've got some questions, coffee questions, and I think it affects us in all kinds of parent child and friends of parent child ways. So, um, maybe you're thinking that something needs to change in your attitude towards your own parents as a result of this sermon. Um, it might be, I want to stay as Christian as my parents taught me to be while I'm at university. That would be a great thing to do. Um, it might be, uh, my parents need me to look after them. And I've used being busy with religious things as an excuse for not doing so. Horrific practice of the Pharisees. It might mean I only call my mum once a term. And the last term I spoke to dad was in the summer holidays. And maybe I should be on the phone. You, you can work out the, the specifics. Um, but Are there ways in which you can support those with responsibility as parents? I know we're not all parents. I'm not a parent. But all of us know parents because we're in a church family that has parents in it. So is there a way that we can help parents or um, those with responsibility towards elderly parents perhaps who particularly need our help? And are there ways that we can support the discipling of children at Grace Church Greenwich? Could you volunteer for the Sunday school? Could you pray for the Sunday school? Could we ask God that the faith that we've raised those little children downstairs in is a faith they'll hold on to? as they honour their father and their mother. Because it really is, says Jesus, it really is a life and death matter.